From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Well, to kick things off, maybe to give you know a high-level overview a bit about what we're talking about, this is going to be very conversational. I think we have an amazing group of people from different perspectives and levels and you know types of companies here to talk all about you know this proven way to close more business faster and really to build better partnerships with customers, kind of one and the same from my perspective. I think so. The topic is going to be mutual action plans. AKA joint execution plans, mutual success plans, evaluate all, there's a million words for them. At the end of the day, what it means is basically they're getting on the same page with your customer and internal team about what it takes to successfully evaluate, validate, onboard, and get to the value that is promised from working together, whatever the partnership is, whether it's a B2B sale, whether it's a product partnership, et cetera, it's the same kind of thing or internal you know, kind of plan between um, different organizations. Um, this use case is obviously for B2B sales and onboarding. That's what we're going to be talking today. The tips, the trip, tricks. From a rep perspective, we'll talk about some talk tracks about how to effectively introduce something like that. We're going to talk about some maybe management learnings around how to enforce new behavior that might not be exactly what people are doing today by nature. Yeah, maybe to kick off with a more formal question, Melena, I'm curious to get your take on this because you've seen a variety of different sales processes in your career. Curious to get your take on when it makes sense to approach deals and partnerships in these ways and when it might not, because I think, you know, as we talk about something that's great, not every every tool is used for the same job. When do you start thinking about, hey, this is the type of motion or maturity as a company or, you know, product or journey that makes sense to collaborate with customers this way? And maybe, hey, when when is a caller to maybe, you know, the right motion for a type of deal. Yeah. So with the level of, you know, detail that Manuel just showed us, of course, that's not for every deal. But if we talk about mutual action plans in general, unless it's like a one call close, every deal requires a mutual action plan because you're depending on something at a later date from a prospect in order to advance a deal that will hopefully be closed one. So at Flock Safety, where I was before Atrium, we had a short deal cycle, it was like 30 days. The average sales price was relatively small, 5,000 bucks. And so, you know, not a heavily complicated deal, mm-hmm. but I still coach my org to have a mutual action plan because I need to know when we can have a yes, no conversation. Yes. Not maybes, not maybes. Yeah. Not maybes or like partnership. I don't want no partnership call. That's so, you know, in my eyes, it's a little fluffy. I want to know when can we have a yes, no, because again, it's $5,000. I don't want to waste my time for 60 days waiting for a decision. Right. So I think the mutual action plan can be, should be used basically always unless it's a one call close. Now, again, the level of intensity and like the level of detail that the mutual action plan requires. Now that's different when, you know, you're selling to different orgs and multiple stakeholders and perhaps different products and that, that's, and when the the post-sale part of the the deal is important, which is what Manuel was showing, I think that it's critical to use something like Accord in those deals. At Atrium, our deal size is around 15K. So not huge, 
but also not super transactional either. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a really great use case for Accord because our sales cycle requires you to have a Atrium account in order to get to a decision that you're excited about. So that that requires a lot of project management, right? On top of like the yes, no conversation and the contract signature date and the kickoff call, right? So although not an enterprise sale, still a very, very practical use case for Accord. I hope that answers the question. Totally. Yes. I think the the key thing there is, yes, if it's one call, don't overcomplicate it, get the credit card, send over the invoice, whatever you need to do to close it on the call. But if there's a process to it, which means you're investing your time, I love the way that you're thinking about it. It's like, hey, our team is investing this time. We're going to add value. We'll be on the call. Is this a yes or no? Because it's a small decision and we want to spend time on actually adding value and making you successful. Are we going to do this? So let's let's have that conversation. And it should look very different than that process. Low friction. Hey, first call resources, why we're doing this next steps. Let's do it. It's almost like you're teaching them how to buy, right? Because selling is as much, you know, providing value to a pain, but then you also have to advance the conversation. You have to project manage. And, and I think that even the best sellers can sometimes get stuck having a great business conversation, but they're not getting any money for it. They're not winning the deal. So the the mutual action plan then helps with that, like advance a deal, teach them how to buy. Like this is what typically happens next. And what happens after that? Totally. Totally. No, super, super helpful. So pair it up and down based on the type of conversation you have. You're doing this really for the buyer at the end of the day, put it in words, language, stages, steps that reflect the conversation you're having with your buyer. If I, if I may, may add one thing to that, like somebody in the Q&A asked actually, when do you introduce the plan? And for me, mm-hmm. that's actually like the first 60 seconds of any prospect conversation, like the framing. It's like, really? hey, thanks so much for taking the time to de- evaluate like how you can grow faster from zero to a million ARR without trial and error. I'd love to ask you a few questions. Then I can show you how other people, how other customers have solved that. Over to you for any questions. I can guide you through the whole how it works. And then we're going to decide how we want to move forward. You can then take a decision. If you want to become a customer, yes, no. Or we're going to set up a decision call and you can do some reference check in between. That's great. And there's so many salespeople, I'd say like 70% that miss that. And they just like receive an invite from the prospect that's going to be called Atrium or Awkward. There's no agenda. There's no framing at all. And then they're really surprised, right? If somebody's like, oh, you want to send me something? Like, what's the intent of this call? And we have, yeah. Even if we invite people for a decision call, it's like, oh, you expect me to decide something today? It's like, that's why it's called a decision call. Like, right, makes sense. Ah, okay, I got it. So when you put these things in the mutual action plan early on, people understand exactly what's going to happen and everybody's pretty crystal clear. It's like when you invite somebody for like coffee and then it's like, do you want to get in bed? I was like, no, it's called coffee, not get in bed. <laughs> like, is this a date or a friend? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even when you meet the friend for a drink at 7 p.m., it's always this thing like, oh, uh, yeah, I actually haven't eaten dinner. Like, oh, shall we go drink? So dinner, like, this is unclear expectations. And then typically at 8.58, so be like, are we going to have eat something or just get wasted? Oh, I thought only one beer. I thought like get hammered. I told my wife I'm not coming home. And it's like, I mean, it's just a human dialogue. Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember this. This is great for my pitches now on Accord, man. <laughs> I need to use this. <laughs> That's very memorable. Sorry, just for Christian, I want to get you in the loop on this. I'm curious to get your take, either at Salesforce or other sales experience, how you think about 
I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I love the idea of bringing this up earlier. Typically I would introduce something like this on my second call. Hey, they're interested. Okay. We're going to talk about the process mainly because I'm used to doing more mid-market enterprise deals, but you're also doing enterprise deals. So I'm curious to get Christian, your take when you think it makes sense to introduce on what kind of deals. So I do SMB deals mostly. So my deal size ranges from, you know, around 10 K to 50 K and in rare cases more. But I think 70, 75 has been my, my biggest deal uh, uh, to date. And it would typically involve, you know, three decision makers and a total influence committee of perhaps five, six, up to 10 people in a, in a mid-size startup or scale-up. And basically for me, the, the mutual action plan, or we call it MCP, mutual close plan, right? So it's a very internally addressed term. We wouldn't say that to the customer, like we try to close you with this plan now. Uh, we would call it mutual success plan perhaps, but it's really the cornerstone of my sales cycle. And I would position it at the end of the first discovery call. So the first meeting, so if it's inbound, it's the first meeting for me as an AE. If it's outbound, it's, it's the first or second meeting is where I position the plan. And I think a really good book that I'm reading at the moment uh, is Gap Selling. Should be, you know, if, if you're in sales, you should read Gap Selling. Hands down, it's probably one of the top books. And all that it says, it's really there's this gap in, in every sale between the status quo of the customer, which is the current situation where most likely there's a pain or a problem, and then their future state, their desired state, where the problem is removed and they feel pleasure, right, through your solution. And the wider the gap is, basically the bigger your sale and the more likely your sale that you're going to close it, and also the more urgency. And basically, I love the, this was said earlier in this call, is that it's all about educating your buyers. It's teaching them how to buy because they don't necessarily know how to buy a CRM if they're a startup and they're buying the, the first CRM or, or you know, they, they buy Salesforce. It's not, not always the first CRM, but you know, they're kind of upgrading to a more sophisticated solution. They don't really know how to do it effectively and efficiently. And it's about you showing them how to do it. So to me, there's three components in every MCP. The first is the timeline. Because first of all, the timeline is for me important because I have a monthly quota and I need to know, is this deal coming this month, this quarter, or next month, next quarter? So the timeline is the first piece. And basically, I reverse engineer from their desired go-live date. So I say, when do you need this new solution in place? Is there a compelling event that really drives urgency, such as, you know, uh, Christmas or high, high season, we definitely need to have a CRM in place then. Or, you know, October, we're hiring five new sales reps and we need to have a new solution then. So it all starts at the go-life date. And then basically, you know, I take some data that we have. It's like, okay, we know that it takes you about four to six weeks to do change management and, and training users. So four to six weeks before the go-life is the, is the technical go-life. When the solution is finished with implementation, then we know, okay, it takes another four to six weeks for technical implementation. So basically 12 weeks before the go live, I have a signature date. And so then I validate this with the prospect. I'm like, is this realistic? Because this is in four weeks, you know, do you think it is realistic for us uh, in four weeks to make a decision? And then the next four weeks is basically the part of the evaluation. So that's discovery, demo, business case, commercial presentation, signature. And I lay out all these steps. And that is actually the second part. So the first is timeline. The second is the deliverables, if you will. So what are the actual meetings that we're going to have? And then the third thing is, who's involved in each of those meetings? So if I'm talking to my champion, you know, my champion has to be part of every meeting. But if the CEO or the CFO is a decision maker, 
uh, they're not going to be in every meeting that causes uh, executive fatigue. So we only want them in the demo and we want them in the commercial presentation, for example. Is there a legal team or is there a purchasing department that we need to involve in the steps right before the signature and so on? Mm -hmm. So if you have the timeline, all the meetings that need to happen and the people who need to be involved, you're teaching your buyer the process and Mm -hmm. you validate it and and that's how you get there. Sorry if this was a long answer. No, it was very tactical. I'm glad we got into the specifics there. I think something that, that you called out that hasn't been talked about before is this timeline because I think to even start, and Emmanuel kind of references too, like the conversation you're having and the context to that really depends on, is this a now thing? Is this a today, yesterday? I'm already talking to two competitors. Let's do this. Is this a, hey, someone share this with me. I think I have the same problem. We're going to have to learn about it first. And then maybe you're driving urgency. Or is this like a, hey, we're talking about 2023 budget and I'm a planner and I'm an operationally rigorous person. And I'm going to make sure that I get this slated for next year. That is going to totally change what it should change every word that comes out of your mouth from then on at the beginning of the conversation. So making sure you align on the timeline first, then the why, then the people in the process. And I think a lot of people focus on the process and really the sales process first without, as Melinda mentioned in the chat, the mutual. And I think that's the hardest thing to coach reps around is you give them this and they turn this into the sales process. They suddenly turn the most like buyer-centric thing you can possibly do into like, uh, okay, so we're going to do this meeting and then I'm going to schedule this thing next. And you, like, you haven't even asked them where they're at in the buyer journey. And mm-hmm. I think that's the timeline and all that stuff is, is super key. So maybe a good next question for Melina is, how do you help reps understand that aren't organically doing this either verbally or through mutual plans? How do you help that next? I think we everyone sees this, probably the top 10, 20% of the team does this innately, whether they're using mutual plans or not. They're having these conversations, they're driving the deals this way. How do you help that next set of reps understand how to make this truly mutual and yeah, get them to success using this type of approach? It's horrible, but I think the way that reps learn best is by making the mistake. (laughs) And hopefully like the mistake on small deals. So it's literally like not a big deal that it was lost or delayed or whatever. But some, you know, greener reps, their North Star is like, close a deal, close a deal, close a deal, close a deal, as opposed to like, hey, can I help this person? And if so, how? And if we can help them, and if so, how is that? If we know this and we can help them, then the deal will come, right? So for the greener reps that are like, close the deal, close the deal, close the deal, they they sense that they might be getting closer to winning the deal. And they'll do things like, hey, I'll throw you this discount if you can sign by it in a month. It's like, well, and they have no idea that they're planners and they're actually just doing research for like 2028 budget completely unrealistic. You you set yourself up for failure to lose this deal right now when you thought you had it in the bag because you had no idea of the tempo and there's no mutual conversation. Like I think uh, Manuel, I, I love the way that you said it. It's just, it's a human conversation. Let's take off our buyer and seller hats and just have a conversation. Like, hey, if our conversations go well, like when do you see using this thing? So, and it's like, You don't want to have that, I told you so moment. Like you don't want to be correct in like in these things as a manager, 
But unfortunately, like if, if it's not mutual, you're throwing and assuming timelines. And in, when you're imposing timelines on a buyer, unless they're super desperate to buy your solution, they're like a five-time customer or something, they have juice. I mean, you're, you're going to fail. So how do you help reframe that for these sellers? I even see this in not just green reps, I'm sorry to say, but like the bar for B2B sales has been drastically lower than I could have ever imagined when I set out on this journey of building a cord for the last three years. The conversations that people are having, even for experienced reps, are not this. They're not having a normal conversation with them being like, hey, you reached out or I reached out to you. And this is just this is just where we're at in the world as two humans on the phone today. They are as going like, in there pitching and they're jumping the demo and it's craziness. Sorry, I'm sure to say something. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always a question like, hey, do we let the customer decide the pace of the plan? It's like, I think always you, you only help here to help them take an informed decision. So sometimes people are like, hey, I want to do two million ARR like in 2022. I'm like, cool. How much do you have now? Like one. Like, what's your way to pipeline? Three and a K. What's your sales cycle? Five months. It's like, well, buddy, that sucks because <laughs> you're not gonna, you're short of 700 K if your forecast is accurate, which is probably not gonna be in. in yeah. And like, how do you mean that? That's that's rude. It's like, no, it's not rude. Like in five months, it's 2023. And if your sales cycle is dead, then it's just like you're gonna do a maximum of 300 K. It's like, oh, chuck. But then I'm not gonna close like my series A2. It's like, yeah. Which is why you need to find a way to shorten your sales cycle, generate more pipe short term, and uh, build a pipeline that's that's worth for others. So I was like, ah, okay, but well, how do I do this? I've never done it before. Like, well, we've done it with two hundred customers. Shall we a human conversation if we can help you? And the other, the human part, like, sorry to say, that I know we have a sales loft background, right? A sales loft rep came to me and was like, hey, buddy, like, I'm in the space of you, like the sales engagement stuff. I looked at outreach, outplay, sales loft. I have only one question. We talk a lot about Salesforce. Do you integrate with HubSpot? We have HubSpot. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like HubSpot. Yeah, yeah, sure. We can totally do it. Cool. Can you just send me the information how exactly do it? I don't want the crappy Zapier thing, just like a full working integration. And he sent me a 15-page proposal, Salesforce, how you implement with Salesforce, how you do this with Salesforce, how you need 15 person days and like five people to implement Salesforce. Like, buddy, I've been a certified Salesforce admin for four years in my former Accenture life. I run... 1 million pilots for fucking apps this quote to cash stuff. I know Salesforce and I don't want you crappy implementation stuff. I was like, do you want to buy now? I give you the discount. Like you missed the fucking point. <laughs> I ask you for HubSpot and you're answering Salesforce. And then it's much more fun to have a human conversation with people like Christian actually. And I did when we were looking specifically for an account executive for venture capital. Because we figured out like the, the fastest sales cycle, we had a sales cycle of three business days for a 60K deal. And it mm -hmm. was two calls, uh, which is reasonable if you can tech like SMB tickets at startup journey. And Christian was like selling to VCs as well in Switzerland for Salesforce. So I gave Christian a not call call in all fairness. And like, Christian, you want to join Sales Playbook because we need somebody selling to VCs. And then regarding the timeline thing, it was, Christian was like, you know, I'm, I committed to my manager until the end of January, I'm going to be there. I'm going to build this VC market. Is this a deal breaker? It's like, no, it's not. Like, shall we sign a contract given proper evaluation for February? It's like, no, but let's keep in touch and let's have a human conversation. And since then, I'm, I'm bantering him regularly a bit and he's bantering back. And then we, we continue the mutual action plan, I think. But Christian, maybe you want to add to that. No, I mean, it's the textbook approach of, let's say, 
an outbound deal because as we all know, uh, outbound sales cycle is much longer than an inbound sales cycle usually. So the example that I described earlier is really when an inbound lead comes in, they have a project or they know they have a problem at least. And then, you know, we built this two month plan, uh, mutual success plan. Uh, it's, it's very different, especially for me. So, so for everyone's context as well, I don't only sell necessarily uh, directly to venture capitals, but we partner up with them to get access to their portfolio companies. So uh, I'm selling to high tech and, and, and all, all other sorts of startups and scale-ups. And a lot of it is outbound. And so when I have the first call that I booked with the CEO, for example, and we have the first conversation and we try to find a problem, right? So it's not clear to them yet that they have a problem. We try to find this gap that I mentioned earlier from the, from the gap selling methodology. They could tell me, look, probably in six months, right? And, I'm set, and then I say, okay, you know, I show them the whole MCP framework. I show them, you know, these are the steps of the evaluation. And it's actually a different MCP. So my outbound MCP looks different. We actually do things in a different order. I'm not going to bother you with the details, but I show this to them and I say, when would you be ready for this? And they say, let's kick this off in October, which could be four, five, six months out. I'm like, okay, let's put the first call in the calendar for October. And then when we meet in October, we basically, we launch the plan. And then, so we go through the plan again, we discuss timeline, deliverables, who needs to be involved. And then I actually send them all of the calendar invites. So if it's like 10 meetings or 12 meetings, doesn't matter. I send them 12 calendar invites. We discuss a cadence. We're like, what's your ideal cadence? Every Monday, Friday at this time, okay, let's do it. So in this case, the MCP is much longer and it looks a little bit different, but, but it's still there. And that's what Manu did with, with me, essentially. He's like, you know, we, he's nurturing me in a way, but we, there might be a kickoff uh, down the line. <laughs> so you're always coming back to what it would look like. Yeah, totally. And then I think you also, another great tactic, Christian, that you mentioned that at the end, casually, but I think a good takeaway and learning from a lot of reps, the weekly cycle to go through the plan is like, hey, we just have that hold. Even if it's 15 minutes, we're going to stay on track together. Email, it's hard. You need to build that relationship. Hey, you need to have that tough conversation. We're gearing up for this date. This is what we're rallying around that we agreed on. We need to make this progress. I'm here to help. Let me take it off your shoulders if you're too busy. Let's talk about how I can, you can delegate to me. But before we get too far, I do want to go back to this, which I think is key. You can't build a successful sales organization, revenue organization off hiring just people that can do this innately because not enough of them exist out there. How do you get your team to get there? I don't have the answer for this. Melina, I know you've, you've spent a lot of time helping coach and, and get people there. Teach us, how, how do you help up-level reps to, to get there? What's that mental block that's there and how do you overcome it? Yeah, I think that people just get so obsessed with closing the deal, as I was mentioning earlier. Like They, they put so much pressure on themselves to hit quota. And so what I was saying earlier is like, when they fail, like we use that as an example, like the, the pain for them is still kind of fresh. And that's when you have that coaching moment. It's like, hey, so like, tell me a little bit about why you thought this might close at the end of the month. And you, you basically do discovery with your team on that deal. And they're like, no, because they love it. They see value. How many times has everybody heard that before, right? And so from there, it's like, okay, and then basically you let them come to the conclusion by themselves, by him or herself, that they had no idea when the customer wanted to potentially buy this, should conversations go well. 
Mm-hmm. Or they had no idea that perhaps actually they have no idea that the buyer that they were talking to was actually below the power line and couldn't mm-hmm. buy software. And therefore they they had no idea. The, the, the prospect also had no idea of their goal live date. So talking about timelines helps uncover a lot of things, right? First, like when could you count on this deal for your quota? And then are you talking to the right person? So how do you coach around that by saying, hey, like we're not going to let this happen again. And if you sense that it's happening again on another deal with one of your reps, it's like, hey, remember what happened with when we were trying to sell to Accord and we weren't talking to Ross, we were talking to somebody else that perhaps- Who loved our product, who totally got it. You know, and so it's like, okay, so let's not do that anymore, okay? So I'm a huge, huge fan of the Sales Manager Survival Guide, that book. And in that book, there's this framework that I use all the time with my reps. I teach all of my teams about this framework, which is- like pre-call planning. And there's four things that you prep for. One is goals. Then there's stretch goals, risks, and value. And then, you know, if you if, once you do these goals and stretch goals and risks framework, you realize that there's only like 20 different goals that you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. There's only like 20 different risks. Like there's a pattern here. So a huge common goal is understand tempo and potentially go live date on a call. So if it, I think Christian was talking about this, like if it's an inbound call, like go ahead and ask them on that call. You, they came to you. If it's outbound, you know, maybe you can get away with it on the first call. If not on the first, then on the second. So it's like, hey, wh- when do you think that if our conversations go well, you might want to go live? So that that's how kind of like how I coach. It's like, hey, remember what happened to you with this deal? And that was really painful. And you felt like shit for like three weeks about it. Let's not, let's not do that again. Instead, let's do this. And the goals and risks framework is a great mechanism by which to execute upon that. And then the technology that you use is a cord. Totally. So it sounds like, yeah, it's a tough thing in leadership to do. I'm still working on this myself, but yes, to let people, to let, you can't tell someone, you know, it's just hopefully the best people are going to remember that and be like, oh, that's what they were telling me. I'm going to learn from my mistakes, but you really need to kind of let them have those failures and point back to it instead of there's only so much you can verbally teach someone to kind of help them learn from experience. The best reps, actually, the, the, the wisest people on planet earth are the ones that learn faster than the rate of their own experience. And this is something that mm-hmm. uh, the CEO at Salesloft, Kyle Porter, he always talks about this. Oh, that's inspiring. I love that quote. So if you, whenever you identify a rep that learns faster than the rate of their own experience, it's like, oh, that happened to, that happened to Ross. Like, I don't want that happening to me. I ain't doing that shit no more. I'm not making that mistake. Those reps are exceptional. Those people are exceptional. So hang on to them. Yeah. And then it's for everyone else like myself and most of the world, it is learning from your own mistakes and having someone help point those out to you in an empathetic way to say, hey, remember when you had this type of conversation? I love that. Um, Any other yeah, tips and tricks, Manuel Christian, from having other people kind of this aha moment of going from pitching to genuine conversations and well with a goal in mind i think first when you you want to become a doctor in sales and, and doctors like diagnosis and uh, like a prescription without diagnosis is my, my practice and in u.s gets to jail in switzerland no but i mean still it's, it's not trustworthy right i wanted yeah. to get my eyes laser at like minus eight minus 6.5 dietary so the only good thing was when i put my glasses off and because i, I ran out of money like it's like plus three beers that was the only positive i think 
So I went there, wanted to get my eyes lasered at 18. The guy was, okay, let's do like a checkup. And I was like, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, yeah, we could get you in like Friday. Like, do you pay by credit card or wire? It's 9K at 18 years old. Like, um, isn't there like an age minimum of like 25? I was like, yeah, yeah, but it's fine. You can do it the second time later. So Friday, wire or like, oh, well, we, we're skipping steps in a mutual action plan here. I didn't do it. And I told like roughly 100 people about the company since, right? Because like they lost trust immediately. Mm. Um, the other thing I think is, is just like front loading the process a bit, maybe showing you, for example, so many companies like when they measure like SDRs or BDRs for booking calls, like what's the sales qualified lead? What's the queue? And for us, actually, like when we book a call, the quiz goes out uh, automatically. It's a redirect. When you book the call, you get here. And one day before the call, it's sent out. So it's like, I just want to prepare professionally for our 60-minute call. Can you please take three minutes here to like, where are you at the stage and so on? Like this bit of discovery, like what problems you want to solve, in which space mm-hmm. you are, la-di-da. But then also on the time, like, hey, when, I love to start accelerating sales. It's not work with sales playbook, but when do you want to do this? Like now, later, never. Why should we even work with you? Like, are you happy? Like if you jump on a one-on-one call, are you happy to commit on the call technically? Of course, if it's great value, are you committed to invest the time it takes to do it? Right? It's like no, I, I, I want to done for done for you product, and then getting that quiz and, and get it filled out, right? And like with a form, you, this actually allows you to within thirty to sixty seconds understand, like okay, cool. So I don't need to let everything that I do right now hanging. So two to six weeks, let's book a call then. Cool, committed, yeah. So that that's that's qualified, right? Within basically two months, maturity is, is okay. Like investment is there okay that's the deals as we can work with that goes to the crm if you then go on a crm it's a much more qualified conversation you can go in mm-hmm. discovery basically say like hey and if for example my sales reps are like oh, i'm not sure if we're going to close the deal like well do you have a rough ri calculation did yeah. you ask them like a post-mortem question it's like if we not end up working together why what happened like if i'm die if i died why and then i was asking like well on this medic worksheet, I shared it in a chat, some people on it. Like, do you know that the person can sign a contract? Do you know the timeline? Do you know if there's competitions? Like, I didn't ask, like, hey, that's fine, but make sure you close these gaps. And I think Qualified Sales Leaders by John McMahon is still best book on that, probably. Just having tons of case studies in there. But that was, like, dense, but hopefully useful. Feel free to ask. Follow-up. No, I think the best reps and sales leaders still do that stuff themselves. And I think sometimes reps that don't necessarily want to get better or even sales leaders don't help themselves. And I think the way that I've learned is I'm trying to have a better conversation to add more value. How do I get rid of all of this stuff? I don't want to be thinking about what are the questions I need to ask? How am I doing all this stuff? That's table stakes. Make it easy for me to engage in a helpful way. It's much more fun also being on the side. It takes way less energy. And I think a lot of people, for some reason, feel like that's for, you know, it's like a script for just a random, you know, call center type person, not strategic sales. And it's almost the opposite. It's the best sellers live life in the text expander like you had in HubSpot and all this stuff because they want to have better conversations with customers and they take away all the playbook stuff. It's nailed down so you can focus on that interaction. It's just a much higher quality conversation. Like, hey, thanks for taking the time to discuss how you get from one to 10 million by fixing lead gen, closing more bigger deals faster and building a sales team. 
you're not fully confident because you've never done it before. You're willing to invest 10 to 25K and start within two to six weeks and also willing to invest your time, which is great and we should work with you because product is there, sales is not. May I ask you a few questions about what exactly you mean with these challenges? It's much better to like, Ross, tell me about awkward and how is your life? <laughs> yeah, you're like 15, 20 minutes in and you've gotten one of those three questions done because you don't want to, yeah. Or, hey, I'm really excited to have this conversation, do the intros. Before we dive in, I know we only have 25 minutes left. Yeah. Can we spend five minutes to have a much better conversation today? Yeah. And then they're like, sure. Yeah. You're going to learn. Okay. This, this, this. Oh, those are great questions. I trust you even more. This is the kind of conversation I wanted to have because you asked me great questions. And now I'm thinking about, oh, I do have these gaps. Oh, we are trying to do this. Oh, this is what we need to get to. And then we're, yeah. So I, I think for some reason it feels, it's very counterintuitive. It feels like a step back to ask some of these questions to folks who haven't kind of unlocked that. But so much to learn in B2B sales. This is just a small part of it. I know we're coming up on time. We hit a million things, but I have a lot to personally take away. Maybe we can do a quick round of, of you know, kind of key things we're going to take back to our team or helpful reminders. I think for me, it's instead of telling, having the rep tell me this when I'm trying to coach around it, Instead of saying, hey, this is why this happened, asking them more questions and again, doing like discovery. Yeah. Who wants to go next? Yeah, maybe from my point of view, because I think I'm the only individual contributor on this call. If you want to get your reps to use the MAPs, you need to show them what's in it for them. And I think this was mentioned before is that uh, reps only learn through mistakes, through pain, essentially. And I think... There's, there's a list of benefits for reps to use these. And I think if in your coaching or in the team meetings or in your forecast call, if, if you highlight those benefits to them, they're going to be much more likely to, to use it. And the first benefit is forecast with more confidence, right? If you have a weekly forecast call and basically the rep is stammering something about, yeah, I think, you know, the timeline is probably October, challenge them on it. Ask them, is there an MCP? Did the customer agree to it? Did you send out all of the calendar invites? Like follow the checklist of the MCP. That'll give you a very good idea of the deal health. And the rep is going to learn to do that for themselves and to be like, okay, if there's no mutual close plan, maybe I don't focus on this prospect too much. Or hey, the mutual close plan is actually very solid. I'm, I'm going to focus on this deal and I'm confident that I'm going to close it. So it's really about their, their confidence. The second is an MCP is a great tool to disqualify prospects who are not ready to buy. So if an inbound lead comes, which very often happens, and you lay out all the steps for them and they're like, no, this is not what we're looking for at the moment, you save, you save yourself a lot of time. It's very painful for a rep to spend a lot of time on closing a deal and you know, customer ghosting them and, and so on. So, so this qualification and saving time is a massive benefit. I talked about slipping deals, so that, that goes with forecasting with more confidence. Not having to rely on end of quarter discounts or other, I call them commission breath tactics. It's not going to be necessary if you have that MCP that leads to this signature date, which leads to this technical go live, which leads to this final go live, because that's in the customer's interest. They want this timeline. So they're not going to sign because you pressure them with discounts. They're going to sign because that's their project plan. And then uncovering any other tripwires in the decision process. Oh, the CEO wasn't in the demo, but the CEO is going to sign and he doesn't see the value of the tool. You could have avoided with the mutual close plan. And yeah, teaching prospects uh, how to buy is actually a much less salesy approach than pitching. 
So those are my concluding words on this one. Totally. Uh, I love the reminder of just, this is a human conversation. And then it's like, you know, if you're talking to the CEO or, you know, the CRO, whoever it is, they're just people. This is a human conversation. So that was a great reminder because sales is stressful enough as it is. Don't add optional stress because it's just a human conversation. So thank you. This is going to change the way that I enable and coach my teams. Yeah, from my key takeaways, really uh, timing component. And I think timing, not like when I was a decade ago, was like the first basically five people at business people at Tesla Switzerland. And then Tesla didn't give discounts, right? And then like the, the country director told me like, I was just hearing on a call, give the guy like a free GPS like uh, system and a free set of winter tires. I was like, I thought Tesla doesn't give discounts. Yeah, but it's end of Q2. Like we need to sell these roads. So I was like, but you could save 5K, which is pretty much our margin on this thing and do it like next week, which the customer wanted. Why not? Because it's end of quarter, we're a public listed company. Like, and then a lot of startups have this mindset, like you guys are not a public list of companies and you VCs actually prefer a chart that goes like this, not that goes like this. So why the fuck are you behaving like this? And I think that's also the responsibility of a sales leader and of a CEO because the pressure always goes like CEO makes VC promises, VC pushes CEO, CEO pushes sales leader, sales leader pushes sales reps. And I think that's also the responsibility of us as sales leaders to, to basically tell sales rep like, hey, don't pressure the customer. I'm fine actually if you close the deal, like when the customer is ready for full price. And one anecdote I love from like a zero entrepreneur's fair company sold loss from 400 million plus is that like, I got the commitment for a 50K deal, one year annual agreement, but I don't want that because I'm not sure if the person's going to roll it out. And that's one of the biggest risks adoption in software. So I actually told him like, no, let's do a three-year deal because then the person needs to go to the board, needs to, the board will say like, will you roll this out and make sure there's resources for it? Because I don't want to have a one-year deal and then that churns just because it was too cheap. So being very conscious of when to add friction and when to take friction away. And sales reps always want to take friction away. It's like driving on, on traffic lights and when it's yellow, you just speed up and then it's red and then you get a ticket or you get crashed or you die. And when it's yellow, Stop, even if it's next quarter, then like, why is it yellow? Oh, there's a truck coming. Good, that I don't know. Accelerate slowly again. Ask your passengers, everybody fine. And don't cross orange lights. Analogy from let's get real, let's not play. So that's a great way to end on because I think tying it back to maps is when you when you can answer all these questions, you don't get in the situations where you're discounting people when it doesn't make sense. You don't get in these situations where you don't understand, you understand your business you know, which deals are likely to close and not where you, when you need to be working on pipeline generation or just closing out the three or four great deals that you have and running your pipeline as a rep, like a business, which you should be, it should, you know, you're doing forecasting. You should be doing that for yourself. I always say every month, every quarter, you should know exactly what deals are real, when you need to be prospect, all that kind of stuff. It should be very, very straightforward, simple process because it's stressful enough already. Sales is hard. You're dealing with people. It, it, things can change on a dime, make it easy for yourself, have these types of conversations, don't leave it to risk. And that's the only way you can run a team. And you are, like you mentioned that kind of way and being really smart and having those conversations. So 
this was awesome. I got a lot of takeaways. Thank you everyone for coming. That's either listening live now or the folks that are going to be listening to this, the recording. We'll share on the, the post recording everyone's contact information. If you want to get in touch with anyone here, feel free to reach out. I'm sure everyone's down to have a conversation, connect, and uh, yeah, have a great, uh, great rest of your day, everyone. This was super fun. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.